Welcome to 15 Minutes of Fangs and Folklore with your host, Matthew Miller. We give you pint-sized, bite-sized pieces of supernatural monster lore, exploring their origins, their history, and their meaning to the human condition. Listen on, if you dare. <laughs> I'm your host, Matthew Miller, expert on all things paranormal and monstrous and supernatural. I'm a horror writer from the dark and haunted swamps of Louisiana, and I welcome you to my podcast, my terrifying world that we call 15 Minutes of Fangs and Folklore. Check out my books on Amazon, please, starting with Blood Feud, a punk rock vampire story. That's Blood Feud, a punk rock vampire story. That's volume one of the Gravediggers series. The Gravediggers are a punk rock band who keep crossing paths with all sorts of horrible creatures, evil monsters of the night. And it's uh, Blood Feud is part one of the series. Part two is also available, and part three is coming out very soon, any day now. So get your copy today. Continuing on with our study of vampires, we're going to look at some more really well-documented cases from history of possible vampirism. Last episode, this is episode two, so the last episode, episode one, we looked at Jure Grando Alilovic and some other well-documented cases of possible vampirism. Tonight we're going to start with a man named Petar Blagojevic. He also lived in Serbia in a village called Kisilova. He was probably a farmer, He died in the year 1725. We're not sure how he died, but keep this in mind. 1725, this is not ancient history. This is not even the Middle Ages. This is the modern period. This is, if you're an American like me, this is, uh, you know, around the time that that of the American Revolution. Our founding fathers of our country would have been alive at this point, right? So this this is not that old. So he dies, 1725. After his death, several other other, uh, villagers become sick. They stay sick for a day, then they die. And in fact, we're told that nine villagers died in only eight days. Something's going on, right? As each villager was dying, they would insist that Blagojevich, uh, the risen Blagojevich, the revenant, had been visiting them at night and strangling them. The uh, Blagojevich's own widow, he claimed that he had visited her at night and asked for his shoes that's odd detail, right? Ask for his shoes. Why does a vampire need shoes? I don't know. He also showed up uh, when his son was awake at night, uh, and he asked his son for food. His son refused. You might imagine it's late at night. Your dead father's corpse shows up asking for food. You probably don't want to get involved. So he murdered his son, and he drank his blood. This is interesting because here we have the drinking of blood, you know, one of the uh, great hallmarks of vampirism. But he also asked his son for food. We always think that vampires subsist on blood, but this one asked for food. Just keep that in mind for later. So the local villagers, they dig up his body, and 
they wanted it to be official, so they gathered the village priest, then a local chamberlain named Frombald, and then another priest from the larger town of Veliko Gradiste. So they have two priests and a chamberlain, a local official. So this Frombald told the villagers that they need to get permission from the authorities in the capital of Belgrade, since disturbing a corpse was a serious crime in that time. The villagers say, no, look, we're dying, and if you don't help us dig him up right now, we're going to leave and abandon this village. And he realizes, you know, that the work of the farmers, it's how the local, uh, um, you know, local authorities get their income. So he's kind of pressured here, so he says, okay, you can exhume him, you can dig up Blagojevich. They do so, and they are shocked to see that the body was not decomposed. His hair and his beard had lengthened, gotten longer, and there were new skin and nails. Keep that phrase in mind, this new skin and nails. That's an actual quote translated into English from the eyewitnesses. We hear this more than once, new skin and nails, kind of implying that his former skin had, had sloughed off. Um, finally, they could see blood in the mouth, fresh blood. When a person dies, the blood pools wherever gravity pulls it. If you're lying, you know, lying down, it's the bottom of your body and so forth. And the blood coagulates fairly quickly. So, for example, people who do opt autopsies, doctors who do autopsies, don't see fresh blood flowing. But uh, fresh blood indicates life. So the villagers stake the body. Fresh blood spews out of his ears and mouth. Then they burn the body completely. And, as you might imagine, the attacks stopped. The illness stops, the village is back to normal. And then the authorities decided not to charge anyone with disturbing a corpse because the villagers were so scared, you know, that they had mercy on them. The next case, Milos Chechar. He was a former soldier who had become a farmer. He also lived in Serbia. You know, you think a lot of the, most of these cases are from Serbia. Uh, from an unnamed village, he himself had been visited by a vampire allegedly. He claimed so. So one day he was out in the field making hay. He dies for some unknown reason. Then after he died, reports come from around the village that he was tormenting people at night, and a great illness broke out in the village. That's all we know of this Milos uh, case. But we can imagine, if it's anything like the others, that they dug up his body, destroyed it, and the, the illness stopped. The next case is very well documented, called Arnold Paules, the man's name Arnold Paul in English. He was a soldier also in and around the village of Medwegna. And this case is very well documented even by the local authorities. This guy, Paul or Paule, often mentioned to people that he himself had been attacked by a vampire at a place called Gosova, which probably is Kosova, right, the, the modern city but that he had cured himself by eating soil from the vampire's grave and smearing himself with the vampire's blood. That's unusual. That's a detail we don't often hear in modern vampire lore, to cure yourself of it by, by eating the vampire's grave dirt and smearing yourself with his blood. So in 1725, again very recent, uh, this man Arnold Paule breaks his neck by falling from a hay wagon. And then, within a month after his death, four people in the village complained that he had visited them at night and harassed them. Those four people died soon thereafter. Then the people remember how he had said that he had you know, been disturbed by a vampire himself and had eaten the grave dirt, smeared the blood. 
<clears throat> and so basically, you know, they're getting suspicious. So 10 days later, which would now be 40 days after Arnold's death, the local um, administrator called a Hadnak, I'm not sure the exact English translation, but he's a local authority somehow. He himself claimed to have witnessed such things before, vampirism, and he says, we're going to dig him up, open his grave. So they do so. They see that, as the other cases, the corpse was not decomposed. His veins were full of blood, like flowing blood. And, and this is a quote from the documents, translated into English, of course. And that fresh blood had flowed from his eyes, nose, mouth, and ears. That the shirt, the covering, and the coffin were completely bloody. That the old nails on his hand and feet, along with his skin, had fallen off. And that new ones had grown. Right? There again, this, that theme of the skin and nails being renewed. They go on to say, his body was red, his hair, nails, and beard had all grown again. Okay, so we see those traits being pretty common in these cases of vampirism. They conclude that, yes, Paolo is a vampire. So they drove a stake through his heart, and he shrieks, right? The corpse basically screams like he was alive. He groans, and he bleeds fresh blood, liquid blood. Then they burn his body, cut off the head first, then they burn the body, and then they did the same thing to his four supposed victims, those poor villagers who had died. They do the same thing to their bodies, and all the problems in the village stop. About five years later, in the same area, in the winter of 1731, there's actually another epidemic of vampirism. So it's the same area, basically. And um, more than 10 people died within several weeks, and some of them died in just two or three days. The number and the age of the deceased are, are varied, right? Uh, men, women, older, younger. So as there's no consistent uh, pattern of the victim. What makes this interesting to me, this second outbreak of vampirism in that area, is that all the victims are documented so well. I won't read to you the list of all their names and ages, but they're included, like first name, last name, ages. They're all very well documented. The locals consider two of the victims, named Milika and Stana, to be the ones who started the second uh, epidemic of vampirism. So according to what he had said, this Milika guy came to the village from Ottoman-controlled territories six years ago or six years before. Um, I'm sorry, that's a woman, not a guy, Milika. And the locals' testimony was that she was a good person, a good neighbor. She had never done anything uh, and had never, quote, believed or practiced something diabolic. But she had mentioned when she was alive that when she was back in the Ottoman lands, she had eaten two sheep that had been killed by vampires. Hmm. Stana, who is another woman that they believe caused this epidemic, had admitted when she was alive that she also was in the Ottoman-controlled lands, that area, that she had smeared herself with vampire blood as a protection against vampires. She had said that there were vampires active there. So again, we see smearing of the vampire's blood to protect themselves against vampirism. And um, so by the 7th of January of that year, 17 people had died within a period of three months. And most of them claimed that they had been attacked at night by someone who had died before them. In other words, a revenant, a vampire. <clears throat> So um, there's a quote by Augustin Calmet, if you know, actually, he's 
very well-known um, well uh, writer, historian, uh, who was high up uh, in, the, in the court and wrote for the king. So he says, here's his quote, A girl named Stanoska, daughter of Haiduk Jotiutso, who went to bed in perfect health, awoke in the middle of the night in a tremble, uttering terrible shrieks and saying that the son of Haiduk Milo, who had been dead nine weeks already, had strangled her in her sleep. She fell into a languid state from that moment, and at the end of three days, she died. What this girl had said, and this is still the quote, what this girl had said of Milo's son made him known at once to be a vampire. He was exhumed and found to be such. The principal people of the place with the doctors and surgeons examined how vampirism could have sprung up again after the precautions they had taken years before. Close quote. So the villagers contain, uh, you know, they complain of this death, of the deaths, of the outbreak of, of illness, vampirism, to some Austrian military commanders. Now, the Austrians were in charge of this area at that time in history. And so this uh, Oberlieutenant, his name was Schnetzer, he is, he, he's worried, he's a more practical guy, he says, oh, this could be the bubonic plague, right, another outbreak of the plague. So he sends for the imperial, you know, of the emperor, the king, contagions medicus, so he's kind of like the uh, infectious disease specialist of that time, uh, named Glazer. He's close by, so they send him there. He examines the villagers and their houses. He doesn't find any signs of any kind of illness or contagion, and he blames all the deaths on malnutrition. The villagers insist, though, that it's because of vampires, and so at that time, two or three uh, families or households were basically gathering together at night with some asleep, others on the watch. So they say, okay, we're going to take turns staying up, watching for vampires. Convinced that the problem was not malnutrition, but vampires. Uh, so basically, they start saying, we want to dig these people up. And so this Glaser fellow, this doctor, uh, he agrees. He says, okay, fine, if it's going to satisfy your superstition. He's there with them. They dig them up. And he finds, as a doctor, he finds that most of them were not decomposed. And they were swollen, uh, you know, pink, uh, and had blood in their mouths. And others who had died more recently were decomposed. So we have a case of people dying, decomposing like normal. Others who had died uh, before them looking fresh and, and ruddy and having fresh blood. And so Glaser basically writes a port a report, sorry, to the, uh, his commander's office, and he basically recommends that they should let these people, these villagers, kill the vampires. If nothing else, it'll ease their minds. And so we have this commission, including a military surgeon, Johann Flückinger, two officers, a lieutenant colonel named Büttner, uh, two other military surgeons, Ziegler and Johann Friedrich Baumgarten, and on the 7th of January, they gather with the village elders and some local gypsies, is what the report says, um, that's not a politically correct term these days, by the way. Bohemians, we would say, but in those days they call them gypsies. They gather and they open the graves of the dead. And their findings were similar to the others, you know, that the corpses were basically not decaying, <laughs> not decomposing, and that they were, uh, their chests and their organs were fresh, filled with liquid blood. Uh, the, the, the intestines looked to be in good condition. The corpses were red and vivid. And again, they say the skin on the hands and feet, along with the old nails, fell away on their own. But on the other hand, completely new nails were evident 
along with a fresh and vivid skin. We see that theme repeating. So basically, uh, there's a report written by this Calme fellow, 26th of January, 1732, to Belgrade. And basically, um, I won't read everything, but he says this, open quote, they discovered at last, after much search, that the defunct Arnold Paul, that's the man we had mentioned before, had killed not only the four persons of whom we have spoken, but also several oxen, of which the new vampires had eaten, and amongst others, the son of Milo. Upon these indications, they resolved to disinter all those who had died within a certain time. Amongst 40, 17 were found with all the most evident signs of vampirism, so they transfixed their hearts and cut off their heads also, then cast their ashes into the river. All right, so they obviously burned them also. So we have this report by, you know, officials in the Austrian government about these corpses who are, who are disinterred and found to be fresh and not decomposed. Okay, there's our 15 minutes for today. Next episode, what we'll do is discuss a little bit of, of these traits of these cases that we looked at. We'll talk about vampire-like creatures from around the world, and we'll discuss what the vampire lore means to us. Why do we have this vampire legend? Is it real, or is it something else? Does it reveal something about the human condition? So join us next time on the next episode of 15 Minutes of Fangs and Folklore.